What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond, Eon or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. You are listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Butler. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Duffy. Hello. Mr. Tom Wheatley. Hello. And our very special guest this week to talk about the 2006 film Casino Row is Mr. Simon Brew. Hello. Simon, I know you don't like introducing yourself on your own podcast. No, no. <laughs> but I, I will don't. Just shall add, we move on? Yeah, well, shall we move on? A journalist, <laughs> editor, uh, book writer, author, uh, website. Singer, dancer. Yeah, um, publisher. Yeah, I, I, I do film stories. I, th- I think that will do. I, yeah. I, I think I've, I've waffled enough already. But film stories is, is a multi-platform venture, Simon. You've got a print magazine. I think when you say it like that, it sounds astoundingly um, professional, <laughs> doesn't it? So do you know what? Let me just write that down a second. Yeah, uh, it's it's a podcast. It's a magazine. It's a Blu-ray label now. Not for a James Bond film, um, though, sadly. Sneakers. Um, the, the rights to James Bond films are quite expensive, I gather. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, it's two magazines. Did I say two magazines? Yeah, it, it's a bunch of stuff. And a website also. And a web... I'm glad you're there. Yes, it's also <laughs> it's also a website and a shop and a live tour as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. buy all of that. But thank you for joining us. Um, if you are listening to this podcast for the first time, we are the, the James Bond A to Z. We are working our way through the people behind the James Bond films, going from A to A, a to Z. Um, we are currently knee deep in the letter C. We will move on to the letter D at some point, but we are still uh, on the letter C. Yeah, really looking um, forward to that. Yeah, <laughs> just anything other than the letter C. But we've, this, is, this is our fourth podcast now on Casino Royale. And we've, you know, we've we spent the last previous episode talking about the 2006 film Casino Royale and, the, and, and and how that film was made and you know every every little detail about that and well I think I think we're all in agreement it's a fanta- fascinating story behind that film and just you know the genesis with its 1967 predecessor and what better person to come on and talk about the story behind a film than Mr Film Stories himself so that's why we invited you Simon I'm I'm glad to know this. And, um, I'll just go on Google now while you three talk, and I'll, I'll just be back in a second. Um, well, I just wanted to ask quickly, Simon, were you covering yep. this film when it was released? Um, yeah, I, let's no. Um, so it came out in 2006, didn't it? Yeah. And I started Den of Geek in 2007. In fact, I just, I'd only just started working in London. I was working for a computer magazine called Micromart, um, which you didn't ask me. 
um, which had been bought up by Dennis Publishing in London. And so I'd come from Birmingham and was commuting every day on the train. Um, every now and then I'd stop over. I remember Casino Royale was one of the few times I went out to a cinema at that point. Couldn't get a ticket. Sold out. Wow. I think I, yeah. I think in the end, actually, I got to a, I got to one of the later showings sat. Have you ever been to the Odeon on Tottenham Court Road? Oh, I, I don't know. Bit of a flea pit, isn't right. it? It, 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 it's not a delight. And I was on the front row at the edge. And modern cinemas are designed beautifully that no matter what seat you sit in, you get a wonderful view of the film and brilliant, you know, the, the acoustics of it are terrific. And I firmly don't put the Odeon Tottenham Court Road in that camp. <laughs> no. Well, we're from Lincolnshire, Simon, and some of the cinemas we used to go to watch were like village halls. So we couldn't see anything. Oh, you tease. I'm from Birmingham. We kill for a village hall. <laughs> <laughs> before, we, before we dive into uh, Casino Royale, um, just, we had a couple of emails from listeners that I wanted to just mention. Uh, one from Nikolai in Hamburg. Uh, he just wrote to say he's a, a fan of the podcast and uh, he appreciates the work that we put into it. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate you listening, Nikolai. Um, I've sent you an email uh, back. Um, so if you pick that up, um, I will send you... James Bond says podcast sticker. Um, he's really looking forward to us talking about Timothy Dalton, uh, which I personally can't wait to do either. Um, not, so, that, not that long to go. Not long Nearly to, there. Not, not long to go. <laughs> um, another email here was from um, a guy called Alan, and he is in uh, America, St. Paul, I think. Is that Michigan? I'm not sure. But he emailed just to, he was asking about the music on our podcast. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but uh, the music we have is by a friend of ours called Tom Ingemels. It's an original composition. We did toy with the idea of using clips from films and the music, but decided against the litigation. So, uh, Simon, do you run audio clips on your podcast? Uh, I do, yes. What's the yes. rules? <laughs> I, I, are we really going there, Tom? Okay. Um, <laughs> right, well, if a lawyer's listening, then the rules are I don't run any audio clips at all. And what I've actually done is I've hired an exquisite bunch of mimes right, and, and, and got some lift music to do it. I, I mean, generally, there's editorial fair use. Um, I, I think most, most film studios aren't going to object. Um, but th if you go beyond 30 seconds, I think you're pushing your luck. Yeah, we, That's ca generally we can't start playing the whole film, Butler, just to kill some time. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that is not what we were planning to do. We'll hire the same mimes. If you can just contact her, get them in touch with us, Simon. That'd be yeah, really yeah, helpful. yeah. They're great. <laughs> so they're on cameo. <laughs> so, so Casino Royale. Something we touched upon at the time was the reaction to Daniel Craig being cast as Bond. Simon, I know I, I saw that you'd done a ranking of the James Bond films for shortlist. Did I? Yes. I, I don't remember that at all, but that, that's feasible. But um, it, it, what did I put number one? Was it Casino Royale? No, that, that would be quite useful. That was number two. But in, in that, you mentioned about the website for Daniel Craig. <laughs> it's still live. I've got it on the other screen that I'm looking at here. And it's amazing. I mean, it's like, do you remember GeoCities websites? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it's not a million miles away. So if anyone listening wants to try it, it's called DanielCraigIsNotBond.com. And it is still live. And the head, the front page of it is Boycott Casino Royale. Click here. The fans on Craig. Bond fans furious over Craig as Bond. So I was having just a look around before we came on. And um, I, I have to admire the commitment to it because I went on the, uh, it's got a forum. 
and the forum is still being posted on. So some people are really pissed off 15 years later. Just, just will not let it but, lie. No, but then, I, I mean, I, the, I mean, the backlash was huge, wasn't it? I mean, do, do you remember it all? Jane, not, not James Blonde yeah, and all yeah. of that. And yeah. I mean, but do you remember how they revealed him to the world? Yeah, we talked him about in on this. on a speedboat or something and he just looked sick. Yeah, he looked less happy than whoever sat up, set up the website danielcraigisnotbond.com. <laughs> I mean, it's just, a, but I mean, it's, it's insane now you think about it. But the, the vitriol, and I, I find this doing my, because on my podcast, I tell the stories of films. And it's really hard to impress sometimes just how caustic and vile the anti reaction to certain things was 15, 20 years on. But 15 years ago, the, the headlines were awful. You know, mm. and, and this website is one of the kinder ones, I, I would say, and it's one of the few that survived. But it, he wasn't wanted, was he? He was a real surprise, a bolt out the blue. Mm. Very different to what uh, had come before, I guess. There was the headline James Bland as well. I think it was the mirror yeah. that really went. And that was front page news when he was when he was revealed. Um, but I guess, you know, at that time, we hadn't seen him as Bond. It was very... He was an outside choice. Um, he was he was sort of a well known name, but very yeah. much so. it was going to be it was going to be Clive Owen or Hugh Jackman, wasn't it? That's what people were were gunning for at the time. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we'd ever seen anything like that before, had we? With a with a new Bond. I don't know. Um, I suppose Lazenby might have. Lazenby might be. Yeah, but other than that, it's um, it's definitely. I don't think you'd see it in the future as well. He's probably broken the mold there where nobody's really going to go that hard in on a new bond again because oh oh I, I completely disagree <laughs> with that I, I i think if anything um the online environment when people don't like a piece of casting i think daniel craig got off light here with just one website url i, I think you see it with doctor who yeah it's just like that the cat the, if the casting of a new doctor comes it doesn't matter who it, it could be bad puss or something it just doesn't matter <laughs> It's just like the people who don't like it are going to absolutely gun for it. And it's the usual thing. It's just like a few people shouting are, are, are just their noise is amplified by the environment that we're in. Batman, yes. I think, is a similar similar case, isn't it? Often, every time there's a new Batman announced, it's, it's often met with fierce resistance. Robert Pattinson, Ben Affleck. I don't even know what the reaction to Christian Bale was at the time. It, it was it was more tempered, but then it's easy to follow something that let's charitably say isn't very good. Yes, I think I, yeah. I think that was the time where you could have cast pretty much any, anyone. But the the, the thing with because uh, I mean the difference here was Pierce Brosnan was still well liked, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean they were talking of they weren't talking of recasting him. They were talking of doing the Halle Berry spin off movie. That was going to be the big innovation here. And I think the assumption, I think it's Pierce Brosnan's assumption as well, was he was going to do another one, Die Another Day. Is it the, was it the biggest of all time at that point, Die Another yeah, Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. not adjusted for inflation, but yeah, it was massive. Yeah, and and, and it was, you know. And, and as much as it's a kind of film that's sneered at now, you haven't got to D's yet, have you? I, I've got a soft spot for Die Another Day. Uh, but as much as it's sneered at now, the reviews of that were good when it came out. You know, everyone laughed at the invisible car, but it's just like, oh, no, that's a load of fun. You know, great. Let's move on to the next one. And the assumption was just going to get a next one in a couple of years and it'd be Brosnan again. And so th this was a lot of sea changes at once because in the backdrop of this, hadn't Donna, hadn't Donna Broccoli died as well? She died just either just before or just after Die Another Day. And that was the last uh, the last link of that generation of broccolis mm -hmm. with the film. So this was Barbara Broccoli, uh, uh, not 
going out on her own per se, but this was far more of her imprint on on Bond than the casting of Pierce Brosnan in Goldeneye. Yeah, we discussed that when we covered Barbara Broccoli, saying that Daniel Craig was very much her Bond. Mm. Yeah. Start afresh, a clean slate, yeah. She was right, wasn't she? I mean... Mm. Have you interviewed Daniel Craig, Simon? Have you met him before? Uh, No. Um, Now, back in Den of Geek days, I think it was Ryan who went to do do the interviews, because that would be for Spectre. And I mean, you, you've done you've done these post junkets and you, you sit there and you, you just get 10 minutes of someone gruffly just just saying words at you. And I don't think it's a huge exclusive to say that Daniel Craig wasn't in the best of spirits for most of the Spectre press tour. <laughs> and so I think he was being asked very bland questions, not by Ryan, I should say, um, but he was being asked very bland questions and he was giving very bland answers. And that was it because they'd only finished the film a few days before, hadn't they? And then go and talk to all of these people who are just going to knife you as soon as you're out. But there, there was there was I mean, that was the end of his tenure, really, wasn't it? That was the assumption of it would have been fascinating to talk to him at the start, because at that point, I mean, he'd, he'd have been in a, he'd been in a really good film called The Mother which I just, I, I mean, back in the days of DVD rental by post, which is still going, just there's only one or two companies there. But I used to put all sorts on there. I remember just watching The Mother, having no idea what I was getting at all. And he was great. And I know it's Layer Cake was the one that basically turned the role in his direction. But he had a, he had a body of work at that point. I think people forget just what a broad actor he was. I mean, he wasn't movie star acting. He was he was turning up in, um, in really acclaimed um, art housey stuff. Often getting villain roles as well, which is quite interesting. And I think that when they spoke to him for the first time, he was assuming that they were going to cast him for the for the villain in this, which is which is quite interesting. We, we talk, you're talking about the context of the film there and uh, it coming after Die Another Day. And I think it's sometimes easy to forget the wider picture as well, because we this film came out in the wake of the two born first two born films and also the yeah. Batman Begins film. Do you think that those yeah. those films had an impact on on this film, particularly in Casino Royale? I don't think you can look at GoldenEye and say that True Lies hadn't shifted it. And I think you don't. I, I mean, again, I, I just think the influence of Bourne, particularly when Greengrass got his hands on Bourne, I think. But the influence of those first three Bourne films is all over Casino Royale. We we would have said we might just have had a no, die another day two or something like that. Had bought so when was the first born film? Was it about two thousand and two? Two thousand and two. Yeah, yeah. Born Identity, and even that. I mean, I mean that was Doug Lyman going nuts, wasn't he? And, and nearly getting fired fifty four times, which is pretty much de rigueur for a, a Doug Lyman production, I think. But the 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 visual start without wishing to go like all all film study student on you or anything like that. Um, the visual language of the Born films was dramatically different. Uh, and the fact that it was a lot more down to earth, because they were saying after Die Another Day that the only place left was to turn it into a sci-fi film, you know, because they 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 had gone so that they'd escalated to such a degree. By the time you've got an invisible car, you may as well have Thunderbird Six just barreling in from like a garage in Watford. But Bourne had changed that; it had brought it down to earth. But again, I think one of the things that Bond has been particularly strong at. Um, occasionally it's knee-jerked. I mean, Moonraker's the most obvious knee-jerk, but it's reacted. There's no way it would still be going if it wasn't reacting to what's going around it now. I think we'll see that again with No Time uh, no time to Die as well. I think, I mean, clearly I've not seen it, but that's heading into the, the whole territory of ending stories, I think, and almost like regeneration, stuff like that. And I think the imprint will be on that too. 
Yeah, interesting. There's quite a lot of crossover between the, the Bourne films and the, and the Bond films in ter- terms of the um, people behind the scenes. There was second unit director, I think. Dan Bradley went from Bourne to Sol- Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Alex, Alexander Witt, I think he did second unit on both both sets of films. So there's obviously a lot of... Um, I mean, the film industry is massive, right? And they need towns of people to work on these things. But the interesting that the second unit, which is stuff that you know really makes the action sing... They really borrowed from each other. It came sort of. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that as broad as the film industry is, it's a very small number of people who could do what they try and do with a, a Bourne or a Bond film. I, I, I do think that's that, that. I'd imagine that's an immensely short list. Not least, can you carve off six months and travel the world for something like this? I think what was interesting about the last three Brosnan films is I always felt that they were films directed by two people. That I think you see it with Tomorrow Never Dies. I think you see it with The World Is Not Enough. I think you see it with Die Another Day. Because the first half of Die Another Day, I know it's not the film we're here to talk about, obviously, um, is really dark. You know, there's yeah, a yeah. real sense mm-hmm. of which way Bond could have gone at that point. The second half is directed by the second unit, from what I can see. And I think you, I think that's true of Tomorrow Never Dies. I think there's a turn in that film where it just becomes action in the second half. I think it's the same with The World Is Not Enough. I don't think it's the same with Casino Royale. And I think, I, I think the smart choice with Casino Royale wasn't just Craig, because that decision has been vindicated umpteen times over, is Martin Campbell. I just think Martin mm. Campbell got Bond, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he is the person who I would suggest. What year are we in now? Has made what two of the best Bond films since what 1980? You know, I, yeah. I, I just yeah. think his yeah. paw print is on it as well, and it's his ability to react to what had come before. Because going back to it, True Lies came out the year before Goldeneye. If you look at how he adapts his visual style for Casino Royale as well. I mean, can you imagine Bond like in the 80s going black and white? Can you just imagine those those hugely? Because it wasn't just that it took influence from Bourne. It added. It stood on its shoulders and added more as well. This wasn't a photocopy. They were they were adding their own stuff to that. I love Casino Royale, by the way. I can't believe I didn't put that number one in that list. What on earth did I put? Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Did I? Okay. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fairly bulletproof there, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a safe bet, yeah. You talked about um, the casting of Craig being justified over the course of his films. Um, this may be for the other guys, actually, but like the Casino Royale template has really set the tone for the rest of the Craig era. Do you think that's is that better for better or for worse? I think I I think that it's definitely yeah definitely set the tone. I don't think it's a, it's a template that goes all the way through the follow up films. There's certain obviously they've tried to kind of stick to that format of this this new bond but I, I don't think they're very similar to casino royale a lot of the later films what do you think brendan yeah i agree i think they they really struck gold with the first one everything just clicked into place and i don't know if they're just trying to recreate bond of you know the old bond of time gone by with the especially with uh specter it was just sort of like a copy and paste like all the bits that a bond film needs to have yeah so yeah it 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 set the template, but then it, it detracted as they went on, I think. Yeah, it certainly it sets a mood that they always seem to try to get mm. back to in every single film. They want Craig to be that same character as in the first one, but I don't think they always manage to do it. But I suppose it's not, it's like a style guide, isn't it? The the Casino Royale one, where you, you know what you're meant to be doing, but you kind of diverge from it a bit as you, as you go along. And some of the directors weren't very good at sticking to that style. 
Yeah, I think the Quantum of Solace was sort of hamstrung by the writer's strike and that, yes, that situation. Yeah. And then Skyfall, I think they really knocked it out of the park. I think that's that's definitely one of the best Bond films of, of all time for me. Yeah. And then Spectre, I think possibly they weren't bold enough in where to take it next. I think they sort of mm. felt like they'd settled on a formula with Skyfall and really went after it again by bringing Sam Mendes back, which by all accounts, I'm not sure he really wanted to do it. And maybe even Daniel Craig didn't even really want to do it. And I actually just watched that film again recently. And it's just such a, it's quite such a dour film. There's sort of that, that sort of unwillingness sort of seeps through to the film to, for me anyway. Yeah. It feels like a step too far in a lot of cases, doesn't it? It feels like, the Skyfall just hits the right notes in a lot of it. It's almost like the right progression from Casino Royale, not counting Quantum of Solace. I'm jumping over that one. But when you get to um, yeah, when you get to Spectre, it's almost like, well, hold on, you you should have stopped there. It's almost that you can't take it any further, and that's what I'm slightly worried about with No Time to Die. I think there's an elephant in the room with the Daniel Craig era of Bond, though, that underpins all of those films in that there was a lot of studio politics going on behind each one of these movies that I think with Casino Royale, one of the reasons that Barbara Broccoli could cast Craig um, where they could take it in such a dramatically different direction was because this was the first film as part of the Sony distribution deal. And this was a big coup for Sony at the time. Sony had wooed the Bond team and Sony Pictures distributing Bond for the first time. And and Amy Pascal was heading Sony at the time, I think, was, was famously filmmaker friendly as well. And so if there was a time when, you know, Eon held the cards on this one, it was Casino Royale. So go and do what you want. Uh, Not quite, but not a million miles off that. In the case of Quantum of Solace, that was clearly hamstrung by the writer's strike. And also, I mean, you almost had the thing with Tomorrow Never Dies. They needed to get another Bond film going quickly. They couldn't have another long gap. Skyfall, I think, is the interesting one because that's MGM running out of money. And that was a hostage of circumstance. And I'm convinced that's why Skyfall is quite so strong, because there were so many restrictions placed on that. You know, you can barely leave the UK to shoot a Bond film. You are working on the lowest budget of a Bond film in some time. You are right up against it. So here are the tools that you've got. It's like that bit in Apollo 13 where they have to build the funnel. This is what you've got. So now sit there and build it into something that works. And they do because they had very strict borders and parameters of what you did. By the time it got to Spectre, those, um, those, uh, the bumpers were off as it were, because the financial problems were solved. And I think what happened with Spectre is it it was following the first billion dollar bond. Sony was just like, you've got to go and make it bigger. And in fact, to be fair, I think everyone at that point was, you've got just got to go and make it bigger. And so I think that Casino Royale, I think I maintain, was probably the only one where Eon held the bulk of the cards, at least creatively, at least in terms of the film that they wanted to make. All of the others, I think, were impacted to a degree by external forces. And where that sits with No Time to Die, which is what the first, again, it's the start of another distribution deal, isn't it? It's United, what, United Artists releasing in the US, is it? Or is it Annapurna? It was, An- uh, it was Annapurna, but then I think um, yeah. because MGM is now... 
that's it it's through united up that's yeah, right MGM is now right. a, a distribution label and so it's going through mgm i think they're all under the same and roof aren't they and it's universal everywhere else in the world so now it's got uh bond has got two parents two studios and so the two studios have both got to agree it's just like I, I don't know if you've ever worked for two bosses but as much as it's a pain in the backside it's great you can get away with I, i'm giving away secrets here you can get away with whatever you want you know it's much easier to do what you want to do with two bosses than with one didn't tell you that can you edit that out <laughs> <laughs> so well, do, do you think that casino royale that freedom or the ability to do something that they wanted to do is that's why martin campbell did it was it a similar scenario to to goldeneye do you think that that's what happened there i i I don't know i think the cards fell in their favor that i think the jinx project had fallen apart that was going to be the big gamble that didn't happen and then there was the backlash of die another day grew over the over the year or two afterwards i think it's just one of those things it's like with batman begins you get a perfect storm of things Mm. the film before there are problems with there's an opportunity to do a big change you've got new creatives you can bring in you can recast you can do but also i do think the i do think the studio element had a part of it because sony was a very and i can't speak for it now but i it was a very filmmaker friendly studio it was also sony was uh, buffeted and linda obst wrote a terrific book where she talked about this was buffeted by dvd and um, blu-ray revenue as well it could afford to take gambles on films at that point because if it didn't make them at the box office it was really hard to make a relatively big film in the early 2000s and it lose money such was the size of the dvd explosion so i think all of those factors played in its favor i do i mean i do think martin campbell was really the 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 key card really yeah um aside from craig and i, I don't know what led it back to their door because they tried to get him back before hadn't they yeah I, i'm they mm. tried to get him back to do another brosnan one but i mean he could have had a rut i mean what did he go off he went i mean he, mask of zorro is great did Green Lantern and stuff like that yeah. just like well he could have had a run of four or five Bond films and yeah. I'm convinced they'd be really good yeah he was offered every Brosnan film and, and turned them down yeah and um, it was Casino or that tempted him back I don't know whether maybe he might be too past it now for the next reboot um, but he's got another film out soon I can't remember what it's called we were looking at this I think when we did the Martin Campbell episode he's got one with Samuel L. Jackson that's it yeah that's it So for you, Simon, this is the best Craig era Bond film. Well, there's an argument with Casino Royale that it's the best one and not Mm. just the best Craig era Bond film. I just think it's the best one. But then that's also tempered a little bit by what you bring to a film. I think, because in the same way, I, I'd avoided everything. Um, We're we going back to Batman. Well, I'm going back to Batman a lot. I knew nothing about Batman Begins when I sat down to watch Batman Begins. Because, I, I mean, like most people, I've been to see Batman and Robin. It's just I don't need to read anything more about what they, you know, I'll watch the animated ones. They're quite good. Um, And so I went in cold and Batman Begins was incredible. No, when you know absolutely zero yeah. about that film going in, mm. that was incredible. All I knew going in for, to Casino Royale was Daniel Craig was in it and some bloke on the internet was pissed off. And and g- genuinely, I don't think I'd watched a trailer or anything like that. And I thought for two hours, it was absolutely outstanding. I, I, it's a fairly obvious criticism, the problem with it. And I think it's a... a, a I think it's a fair criticism that it goes on too long and you just think, oh, you could have done something about that last 15, 20 minutes and did we really have to do all of that? But then that's easy for me to say, I'm just a punter. You know, I don't make films. I can't finish stories to save my backside. 
But for those first two hours, I thought it was great. And what I really loved about it was the courage of it, because it's a Bond film that they put the guns away for a very long time. And they've got the because uh, clearly Mads Mikkelsen as as Lashie is just great. I mean, it's a proper foil for Bond. That that's you know just wonderful. Um, in fact, the best movie villain I've just seen is um, is he, uh, in recent times is in Peter Rabbit too. And David Oyelowo plays a villain in that. And I'm just convinced he should be a Bond villain because I think he could go <laughs> side by side with Mads Mikkelsen. But the, the dynamic between Mads Mikkelsen and Daniel Craig is just incredible. I mean, I just believe both of them completely. But it's the card game. We're going to stop the film and we're going to make the centrepiece of it a game of cards. And I just thought that was so bold. You know, because look at Quantum of Solace. I mean, Quantum of Solace, it's just like we're just moving from set piece to set piece to set piece and not edited very well either. And I don't think Quantum of Solace is a disaster, but crikey, what would six extra weeks have done for that film? I do think that could have sorted a lot of problems. With Casino Royale, it, it at the point most films go fast, it goes slow. And I just think that's great, especially because they needed to build a character again. Because, they, I mean, I think it was Peter Ramsey on Twitter made a really interesting point about the Craig era of Bond in that um, it set this up so intriguingly of this raw, loose cannon Bond, you know, just newly qualified and, and you know, the edges aren't smoothed at all. And OK, we got it again in Quantum of Solace, but we missed the mid story of it because by the time we see him in Skyfall, he's experience he's no he's yeah. just like yeah 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 and and by the time we see him again in no time to die by the sounds of it he's on his last legs i mean I, i've got no spoiler there i i legitimately don't know but they happened upon getting an actor who could realize the fact that you could have this raw young angry bond and they kind of let the story drop. There were a couple more films in that era of Bond mm, yeah. that the Moore era hadn't really done, the Connery era hadn't done. You could argue Dalton sort of touched on it a little bit, but to have Bond at that stage in his career, that was possibly the missed opportunity of the Craig era. And I should give credit, it is Peter Ramsey, um, I, I, I think that's right, who, who came up with that. I just read it, I just thought, you know, that's absolutely right. Do you think that um, the, the way that they sort of seem obsessed with piecing it all together and having that long arc yeah. do you think that that yeah. do you think that ruined it do you think that's part of the problem it didn't ruin it but it was just like really mm. really i was just like it's like did you ever watch tv series lost yeah right and yeah. you remember we like i mean again going to spoiler light the thing with lost is it sets up this really intriguing mystery at the start and i still think the opening like the 10 episodes of it are just great apart from the one where they build a golf course which was just odd I like to think if I was stuck on a desert island, my immediate priority would not be to get my handicap down. Um, but we lost. The writers assured us at the start, we know exactly how this is going to end. We're going to, we, we, we got it. We've got it completely mapped out. And I don't think between you and us, they were telling the truth. And my problem with the Craig era there was it, I wasn't buying it. And I don't think I was alone that I, I get I, I fully appreciate Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale are linked because mm. that some writers have worked that out at the time of conception of the story. OK, and if you're not working that out at the conception of the story, you are trebling the difficulty of then writing it back in later. And Skyfall changed everything. A Bond film winning an Oscar 
a billion dollars at the box office for a James Bond movie. That ch- everything's got to be linked. You know, it's a wholesale. Pa- we can make another billion dollars. I mean, it may as well have been put together by Doctor Evil <laughs> at this point with his little pinky in his mouth. But that changed everything. The Bond, as much as we say, the Bond saga has been hugely successful and hugely popular for a long time. Its, it's success was its endurance. It wasn't that it was it was making the kind of money Star Wars was making or something like that. But now. Now, who would bet against a Bond film not outgrossing a Star Wars film? Yeah, no, that that's where we're at. Mm. And I I just think at the point Skyfall changed it all. They're just like let's knit it all together because what were the lessons they took from that? It's just oh, we've got to dig further into his back. We've got to do more of that, more of that. What can we do? We'll link him to that. Do that. Do that. Do. And all of a sudden they're drawing lines on the on the board that just I don't think were there before. So I don't have a problem with them attempting to do it, but. You just got to have that idea at the start, I think. Even if you don't use it, just to have, and they may have done, you know, I don't know them, you know, they're better writers than me. They may have done, I just don't think in the execution of the film it comes across that way. So when when it comes to, um, I know it's meant to be talking about Casino Royale here, but we're moving on to some of the later ones. Well, you lot just don't want to talk about the letter C, do you? That's what it is. We've done everything but anything beginning with C. But when we come through to, to Spectre, obviously that ties yeah. it all in. Not in a particularly good way. I, I, I mean, I, I hate the way it's all pulled together in in Inspector. Um, but do you think they had any idea early on that that might happen, or was that just a complete? I think I think the the the, the Spectre over Spectre, as it were, is they ran out of time. And um, Sam Mendes did an interview on the Team Deakins podcast about this that he, he won't ever go into a film where he doesn't have the ending again. Yeah. And and Mendes, I mean, his theatre background is is extraordinary and he is a natural storyteller. I, can you imagine him going and making 1917 and not knowing where that's going to end up? And I think he was greatly troubled by what he found himself in the middle of, Inspector. Because the, the thing about this era of Bond films as well is that the production time is insane. You know, if you go from, I think Casino Royale, no, Goldeneye goes back to, doesn't it? That they would start shooting in January and be in cinemas um, in what, November, November. De- December of that yeah. year. And the analogy I always go for is is that of Mad Max Fury Road, which I'd argue is probably the best action movie of the last, what, 15 years, 10, 15 years. That Mad Max Fury Road, they shot so much footage, it took them three months just to watch it properly and categorize it and work out what they had in the edit room spectre they had three months to edit the whole film not just watching it to edit the whole film and i think one of the advanced there are extraordinary advances in digital editing and during a pandemic they've clearly been a lifesaver for lots of movies but one of the things digital editing platforms have done and digital distribution has done is it's taken time from my untrained eyes from the outside looking in from the editing process and as a result of that, it's taking it's taken thinking time out. It's not just processing time. I think if you spend nine months on a job, you're going to think about it more than you spend six months on a job. I mean, as a director, Penny Marshall, the late Penny Marshall, um, was was you know the, the stories of her, and she did extraordinary films, big, a league of their own, all these films. Um, and she would often find a lot of her films in the editing room because she would just spend her time and she'd have time to sort the footage. Out. And and I think that's a perfectly grand way to work. And with Spectre, it wasn't just, I mean, how can you make an editorial decision there where you've got three months to knock together to two, what, two and a half hours 
in the end. Yeah. And one of the frustrating things with No Time to Die is the insistence that, because what is it? About, it's about 14 hours long, isn't it? Or something? <laughs> two, it's hours, two hours 40 something. Two hours 40 something. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll watch it. I'm looking forward to it, but come on. And they've had a year. And I, I think that they were talking about the, the picture was locked and they've not gone back into it over the year. It's madness. <laughs> it's complete madness. <laughs> Sam Mendes. I mean, I've not seen the film. It might be a perfect 100 and whatever, 140 hour film. I don't know. It might just be perfect. So I can't judge it on that. But it's just a little alarm. And the Bond films have been getting longer because, in my view, because they're giving themselves less time to edit the bloody things. We talked, Simon, you talked about the um, home entertainment release. I mean, it's something we sort of touched on in our previous episode. But I guess it's worth mentioning the context of when this film came out, which is when the Blu-ray format was being... Had it been decided by 2007? I can't remember. It was out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, It was out in 2007. And the Blu-ray format was, um, I mean, that was that was a huge drain on Sony resources. We come back to um, we come back to studio politics again. The Blu-ray winning that Blu-ray format war because it was up against HD DVD. I have lots of HD DVDs. (laughs) I backed the right side. Right. Um, But winning that Blu-ray format war was so important to Sony, it gambled the PlayStation on it. And I don't know if you remember this, but the PlayStation 3 was delayed and the price went through the roof because Sony insisted it had to have a Blu-ray drive in it because that would tip this format war. Because DVD had made so much money that owning that next format was crucial. And, and it's proven to be a gamble that paid off, even though it cost them a lot of time, a, a lot of the lead with the PlayStation 3. I mean, the PlayStation 3 had the Spider-Man 3 font on it because Sony was really pushing everything onto that movie related as well. Um, but there was an offer with the PlayStation 3 anyway, which was selling for, I mean, the price of it. Would, would, I remember HMV on launch day. The only way you could buy a PlayStation 3 was if you bought a PSP at the same time and spent 650 quid. <laughs> and it's just like, but there's an X because the, the the Xbox had come out and undercut it, hadn't it? The Xbox 360 is just like I could I think I could have three Xbox 360s for that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and that Bond box set, throw that in the basket <laughs> while you're there. Let's have all of that. So one of the things, so I, I mean, Blu-ray was huge to Sony. It knew if it controlled that, it would have a real foot in the door. I'd imagine again, I don't have the particular insight. That was one of the pivotal reasons, one of the big reasons it went for Bond in the first place. Even though I believe its distribution deal was theatrical in the end, it didn't have the home ends, did it? That all went through Fox. Fox, Fox has it? home ends, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So Disney, I mean, all roads, right? Um, but with, because I, I remember the offer, because I got my Blu-ray of Casino Royale by sending in my PlayStation Three receipt. You could get your, you, you got your copy of it. And what I think what they'd hoped with Casino Royale on Blu-ray is one of Sony's earliest ones, along with the Paul Walker film, the underwater Paul Walker film, where he walks around in his swimming trunks. But it's the blue. It's Indeed, the blue. Like into the uh, oh. something like that yeah <laughs> so th- th- there wasn't much to choose from and it was a big deal casino royale on blu-ray but i think they had eyes on it doing for blu-ray what the matrix had done for dvd and uh, the brief version of the matrix story on dvd was it came out what, a couple of years after dvd had launched 
But Warner Brothers, they did a follow the right white rabbit extra feature or something like that. They put that in the television advert and it rocket fueled the sales of DVD players. And it, it was one of the first DVDs to sell a million copies, etc. So as I understand it, I mean, Casino Royale, the first Blu-ray release didn't actually have an awful lot on it. They reissued it a few years afterwards, I think, where they finally put all the extras on it. But they viewed it as hugely important to that format. Um, because at the point it was in a format war, you wanted the exclusive titles, you know, and, and Universal was putting the Bourne Ultimatum, that was exclusive to HD DVD, I think. So they'd sided with them. Uh, Knocked Up, you could only get on HD DVD for a while if you wanted a high-definition Seth Rogen comedy. That was the format you could go for. So, I, I mean, in truth, Casino Royale was, was a significant part of its armoury, and I wouldn't be surprised if if that was also one of the reasons for the haste of Quantum of Solace, appreciating the writer's strike as well, but we need to get another disc out because these were the only ones that Sony had the rights to at that point. You know, Fox, what was Fox? I think Fox was Blu-ray as well, but the studios were really fractured with the format, that, the formats that they were supporting. And, and so you needed as much in your armory as possible. And Sony spent big, huge on Blu-ray. Yeah. I'm just looking at the data here, actually, the, um, the region one Blu-ray disc, of Casino Royale was the highest selling high definition title yeah. to date. Uh, sold more than a hundred thousand copies in its first week. Yeah, no, sorry, since its release, and the even the DVD sold really well. It held the record of the fastest selling title um, on DVD. Um, but the the value of that format war win, uh, even though it has had enduring value. I think, where are we now? 15 years on, DVD still outsells Blu-ray. It's madness, isn't and it? It's, and it's not even close, is it? No. I mean, DVD significantly outsells Blu-ray. Let's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all fantastic stuff, Simon. I just wondered, um, just wanted to ask you quickly about your, your podcast because we spend a lot of time researching our podcast, but there's, there's three of us and there's only one of you. How do you find the time? Because your podcast is so detailed and you do two films in each each show. I, I Okay. Um, first of all, I, I mean, you, you've got the camera here, I think. Um, it, it comes across great on a podcast, this. But if I turn the camera, you would see a wall of magazines and books. Right. There, I mean, I can if you want. There you go. Magazines, books and DVDs and stuff like that. And so I, I read a lot, but I read just for fun. I, I just think that's enjoyable. Also, I'm not trying to do the definitive story of each film. I view each podcast episode that I'm, I want to give you a starting point, really, possibly even a medium point as it's gone on, to go and explore, to go and find it out yourself. Because if you, with the best will in the world, if you listen to a DVD commentary, I've usually got one on the go, and most people don't listen to them, you're going to get two hours of someone talking about a film that's going to tell you far more than I can tell you about it unless it's like Tim Burton DVD commentary, because I just don't think he wants to be there most of the time. I love <laughs> Tim Burton films, but, you know. Um, but the stuff is out there, and I've just been reading... Uh, my, my problem is, um, is I don't have pub quizzes to enter, I think. And so I've been reading all this stuff for 20, 30 years, and I've been, I was, I've been writing it in various formats for a, a lot of that time as well. And so I've got a lot of the stories. I mean, it's getting... I, I'm up to, what, 170-odd episodes and I've got another year's worth mapped out wow. so far before I start to run out, I think. But then I can go back and do the ones I didn't do a very good job with at the start. But you can cut that out if you want. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's just that. But, you, you, I mean, you guys find, you guys must find this with a podcast. It's just like sooner or later, you, you can sit there and you can set and guess and you can talk yourself out of doing anything. 
You know, there's a million reasons not to try and not to do something. And I just one day just sat there and just thought, you know what? I quite fancy trying this. I'm going to try. And my first episode is 15 minutes on the Tomb Raider movie and 15 minutes on the Adams Family, which were stories that I knew. And they're hardly the definitive guides, but they're just fun to talk about. And so I've kind of tried to stick it to that ethos, really. Now, you three have set yourself up for an almighty four because, you know, the A to Z of James Bond, I'm coming to you and I expect to know absolutely everything, you know? <laughs> and if I don't, I mean, you, you, I mean, you are hoisted by your respective petards. Um, I, I do not claim to do the A to Z of anything. I, I you know, I, I'm just, I'm quite happy being like the A to D. That'll do me. <laughs> Absolutely far. In fact, by the sounds of it, you are the A to D from what I can work out so far. <laughs> That's true. Which, which Bond films have you done on your on your show so far, Simon? I've done... what I think the first one I did was Spectre, but I don't think I did a very good job of it, so I will go back to it. But the last one I did was Tomorrow Never Dies. I've done Licence to Kill because I just think the story of that's really interesting. The fact that the first Bond film they couldn't film in Britain... And I, I mean, when you get to L, you are going to have a ball with license to kill. Um, yeah, we're just going to listen to your podcast. I, I listened to the <laughs> Tour Never Dies one and uh, definitely going to be going through that for my research uh, when we eventually get to T in about eight years time. <laughs> I worked, uh, my first job out of university was work at, the only place I could get a job was at the same university I was at. And I was at a university college. It's a university now. Um, it shows you how well my A-level predictions were. That I was, uh, I was, I went to a university college that was affiliated to Lancaster, a place called Edge Hill. It's a lovely place. I'm not slicing it at all, to be clear. But let's just say it wasn't the toughest to get into at that point. And I got the job of alumni relations. And the only reason I got that job was they advertised it requiring three years' experience, and it was an eleven grand salary. And I was just advised, just like anyone with three years experience isn't going to work for that. So I applied for that. And my first job was to track down the most famous alumni that Edge Hill had. And it was Jonathan Price. Amazing. And Jonathan Price at that point had just been cast in Tomorrow Never Dies. And the expectation was I was going to I was going to blast this job. I was just going to bring in Jonathan Price and he'd tell you how much he loved the place. And it was just going to be, couldn't stand it. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently they've had more luck with it now, but I went to speak to the people who knew him while he was there. It's just like, no, no. Lovely man, but no, he's not likely to have fond memories. It's just like, oh, well, there you go. That wasn't in my podcast. That one's just for you. No, that's great. That's <laughs> I wasn't expecting that inside knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just going to get to IMDb trivia and add it now. I'm sure that will be. Yeah. How, how do you pick films for your for your podcast, Simon? Do you just think, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to do one of on that. Yeah. One. Or yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 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 in all seriousness, to anyone who's listening, who who just, I just say, don't overcomplicate it. Mm. Do what you do. What you three are doing. You find something that you care about. Do something from your heart. Oh, we do overcomplicate do something... it. Don't. <laughs> yeah, you do, you do if you care about it, yeah. though, don't you? It's just like, you, I, I mean, were you to try and do a Pokemon podcast with the best one in the world, if you try and go to that cold, as someone who did actually try to write a Pokemon book once, but that's a whole other story, <laughs> right? You just, you just, it, it's different. When it's something you care about, yes. you know, just do it. Just put it out there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, one thing I learned from podcasting is, um, is if, if you just keep coming back, a, um, your stuff gets better, I think, you know, as, as you as you get more of a handle on it and you just enjoy it more. But also, this sounds really twee, but I do mean it. I think you get better 
And I don't mean as a podcaster, but I just think when you're doing something you really love and enjoy doing, I just think that it, and we're in an era where mental health is a bit crap, isn't it? And I just think if you can cling on to something that you love and enjoy it, I think that's a great thing to put out into the world. Which is why I just think all power to you, even though you find yourself mired in seas for forever. <laughs> why did you do an A to Z? You must be mad. It was Butler's idea. Can you do it randomly? Whose idea was it to do it in order? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but I, it was loosely inspired, complete, uh, read completely ripped off by by the David the A to Z of David Bowie. I don't know if you've heard that podcast, which is um, no Mark Riley. No. It's, Can't you rip off another podcast? Well, it's fantastic, <laughs> but no—I mean, no one's done it in the in the film world, and it just felt like a perfect format for this this world. And you know, I'm obsessed with the, yeah, how, yeah. how films are made and the people that make it. And the problem with Bond is that often people obsess over the films themselves and not the story behind it. And so that's really where where the idea came from. And I think the more that we learn, the more we come to appreciate it. I think it's um, yeah. The thing about yeah. the Bond series is that it it's not like you know, a, a series where it's got the same actors, the same directors, the same writers across the whole of the, the franchise. It's so like we can have one episode where we don't know anyone and it's, yeah, you know, they've done they've done some work on the various films and they've done it once and you've never seen them again. But they've actually yeah. the films that they've done are phenomenal. So it's it's quite interesting. You, you find quite a lot of interesting stuff out. I think for me, the most interesting one was Casino Royale 1967. I don't know if you, you heard that one. But because that... I was, I was genuinely just listening to it earlier today, but I'm only about 25 minutes in, so for God's sake, <laughs> don't test me on anything that happens in the set now. Yeah, you, well, you've not got to the point where we start getting angry yet. Um, but the, okay. uh, the, the, I think the thing about that one is that that's so interesting from a Bond perspective because it's so intrinsically linked to Bond, but nobody involved with it is associated with any other ones. So for us, finding out the stuff about that was so so interesting. I imagine we're going to have a similar scenario we've never seen ever again when we get around to that in 2015. Well, that, st- that story is amazing. Yeah. That That's really amazing because, I, I mean, that story carries on into the background of Tomorrow Never Dies, doesn't it? Yes. And the yeah. whole Kevin McClory bit. I mean, what, what, I that, I suppose, do you do that under K or M? It's under M. Because that's going to take M. M. Oh, yeah. That's going to take you forever, that. Well, he's the name that men- gets mentioned every episode. We have to sort of ring the bell. Oh, well, I, I, do I get a prize? <laughs> yeah. Were you waiting? We were waiting for that. <laughs> <Glory>. <laughs> Sticker. Yeah. Well, interestingly, we found was, out... He so- was the reason why Jinx was happening, wasn't it? That was one of the things, just like trying to head him off a little bit. Well, he was trying... Yeah, that was- yeah he was trying to make... Um, uh, another version of Thunderball with Pierce yeah. Brosnan after Pierce Brosnan left. So in between Casino Royale and um, Die Another Day, he was approaching Pierce Brosnan to, to get 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 it off the board, but um, get it off the ground. But it didn't happen. I think it'd be quite a nice tradition if every single Bond had a, a, a version of Thunderball that came out after after the, the tenure. <laughs> Ten years later, I do. Th- I genuinely I agree with that. <laughs> I, I do agree. Have you seen um, the 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 not very good nineteen ninety nine Inspector Gadget film? Yes, yes. with Rupert yes. Everett and the bit where all the villains appear and there's Richard Keel. I don't remember George. that. It, look it up. I mean, it's it's a very forgettable film. I mean, it was bad at the time, in fairness, and I don't think time has been massively kind to it. But there's a bit where there's kind of villain schools, and there he is. Brilliant. You know, at sea, you've got to do the cannonball run as well, haven't you? Because that got that got legal action against it, didn't it? Yeah. When Roger Moore was playing too close to James, and he Bond. drives the DB5 for the first time. 
There you go. So that's another episode of C you've got to do. In fact, I'm just going to sit here and come up with a load more C's. Maybe that just fits into a, a, a bulk episode of C's. I'm not sure. Of C's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Ray Fiennes is in there then, isn't he? Although no, I do Andrew like that Scott, film. Sorry, Andrew Scott. Yeah, Andrew Scott was C, wasn't he? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, okay, well, I think we should wrap things up there, Simon. I think that's been... Um, I apologise. You're adding too many more episodes onto our run for us to continue. <laughs> More C's, that's what I want. I'm going to get on Apple Apple Podcast reviews and just say I'm only going to... Li- yeah. What, um, where can people find you, Simon? What, um, how should they track you down online? Um, well, it depends. If, if it's money, then I, I'm on Twitter at Simon Brew. Um, and if it's complaints, I'm on Twitter at Tom Butler. <laughs> <laughs> and they can find film stories... Uh, filmstories.co.uk or, or the buying version of things is store.filmstories.co.uk and the, your, your magazine is available for subscription and um, yep, all, yep. all that sort of stuff and what what, what are you working yes. on right now? I am working on um, the 25th issue of Film Stories the 7th issue of Film Stories Junior I've got to do one more extra for the Blu-ray of sneakers we're putting out which um, I'm very excited about because I love that film. I think I managed to get a, a name check for that in the middle of all of this. You didn't notice, but I knew what I was doing. Um, and I'm writing a live show, which is coming back, which I was doing just before lockdown. Um, I do a film stories live show where if you think this is bad, imagine me at the front with a PowerPoint thing and 90 minutes of this. I mean, that's just torture, isn't it? Wow. And is that is that off the back of like a a podcast episode or are these new films that you're talking about or a new new theme for the live show it's um well my, my one of one of my big things is a lot of film activity in the uk is london and i'm not from london i've traveled into london i love london i'm not slighting london but lots of us who aren't in london also love films so the the heart of it was i i, I mean it originally started i trialed it when i was doing it i got a book out and so i thought i'll take it around a few places i'll just do a 90 minute show with stories from the book and stuff like that but then i just thought there's no monthly film show in birmingham and so it became a mix of guests and news and me going way too forensic into 80s movies as people who attended these shows can attest um, and now I'm inclined to take that around a bit more now because, you know, I, I, again, it's one of those things, if anyone's listening, um, who, who's vaguely inclined to try something. I just got to a point where I just thought, why not? Because if the worst yeah. I'm going to do is fail miserably. I, I'm at an age in my life where I failed miserably a lot. And it's fine. I don't like failing miserably, but I've still got breath in my lungs. You know, I can still drink coffee. And, and what would the world be without that? And so... You know, if that's the worst I've got, then fair enough. And I, 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 the first two, the first one or two were quite shaky, I think. But I've started to enjoy that. But also, what's interesting is you go around the UK, and there are just people who love films who just want to talk about films. And how many forums are there for that, really? Because I, I mean, the, the last show I did before lockdown, I turned up early to prepare and, and looked like I knew what I was doing. And there was like 10 people in the cafe beforehand who met earlier who were just having a chat. They had more fun in the cafe before, um, <laughs> in fairness. But, you know, they were sat there. You know, I, I, I'm no guarantee. But they were sat there just nattering about films and catching up with their mates. And I was just like, well, that's great. That's actually just what it's supposed to be. Wonderful. Well, we'll, um, we'll, we'll maybe head along to that when Definitely. we're allowed to leave the house. Yeah. You're allowed to leave the house fairly soon and tickets are on sale. I'm glad you said that. I'll send you the link straight afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, And Sneakers, that's the first time that's out on Blu-ray? 
it's it, no, it's been out of print on Blu-ray for quite right, a while. Okay, and it's um, and so I've been looking with Plumeria Pictures, a guy called David Hughes, I've been working with to do a, a film stories Blu-ray for a while because I, I just love physical media, and we've waded through lists of thousands of titles that you can bid for, and so put in a couple of bids. I saw sneakers, just, just got to do sneakers, and the release that came out in the UK before it was good. Um, but it was saddled. Do you remember the old Universal Blu-ray menus that just like and clearly they packaged the same Blu-ray to go in every country in the world. So you had to go through. Here's the Blu-ray logo. Whoosh! I want to watch sneakers. Here's now the menus loading. Whoosh! No, I want to watch sneakers. And then it doesn't put words on the screen because it wants international iconography for I want to watch bloody sneakers. Um, and so it's like 30, 40 seconds before you get the film. So if, if the, my gift to the world is to remove that obstacle from watching sneakers. And we've added a commentary track and we're looking at one, two other extras as well. And if it works, and by God, have I bitten off more than I can chew this time, not for the first time. There's a long list of other titles I want to do. But my hat doubly goes off to anyone who does physical media distribution because I've looked into the tunnel of it and it is terrifying. Did that sell it very well? Yes. <laughs> Thank God for that. Buy this film or else. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Simon. Thank you. Um, where can people find us if they want to contact us, Brendan? At James Bond A to Z. That's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if they want or, email. On email at uh, podcast.jamesbondaz.co.uk. And as always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please leave us a great uh, a review wherever you are listening. It all helps to spread the word of the James Bond A to Z. Uh, we really appreciate all your messages and emails and so on. So, uh, yeah, keep on keep them coming. James Bond A to Z will return next week with another letter, letter C. C. <laughs> oh. I should have teed that up better. I can't remember what's next, but it's another letter C. So you shall enjoy, I'm sure. Thanks a lot. Ciao. James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy, and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley, with music by Tom Ingomels, and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. <laughs>